The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 18, of the Assurance of Grace and Salvation, Paragraphs 1 to 4. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favour of God and a state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish, Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavouring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace, and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. Paragraph 2. This certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith, founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made, the testimony of the spirit of adoption witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. Paragraph 3. This infallible assurance doth not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. Yet, being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may, without extraordinary revelation, in the right use of ordinary means, attain thereunto. And therefore it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance, so far is it from inclining men to looseness. Paragraph 4. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, diminished and intermitted, as by negligence in preserving of it, by falling into some special sin, which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance, and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. Yet are they never so utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived, and by the which, in the meantime, 
they are supported from utter despair. It is the Gospel of Luke that begins with Luke's hope, writing to his friend Theophilus, that Theophilus would become sure of all the things that he had been taught. This was Luke's whole purpose in the Gospel account, sent to a friend so that his friend could have this good foundation and certainty about Christ Jesus. Today, as we read Luke, and indeed all of the scriptures, we too can have that certainty. And as we reach paragraph 18 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, we too can understand and know an assurance of our salvation. We can be certain of the things of God, and we can be assured that we have received them by saving faith. That isn't the case for everyone. And as paragraph 1 begins, the divines make it clear that there are those who are hypocrites and indeed other unregenerate men who deceive themselves that they are saved. They do so with false hopes and earthly or carnal presumptions of being in the favour of God. They vainly think that they are in God's favour. We meet men and women like this all the time. And in the part of the world that I live and minister in, I find this vanity everywhere. We believe that we are good enough in God's sight. We believe that because we attend infrequently a local church, then we have favour in God's sight. We believe perhaps because we put money in a collection plate that we are favoured by God. Or we might think that one point in our lives we prayed a certain prayer and therefore we have favour with God. My friends, there are many hypocrites and other unregenerate men and women who are believing in vain. And today as we consider the Christian certainty and the Christian's assurance, I would begin this podcast by urging everyone listening to be sure. The one who is truly saved is the one who does not look to themselves, but who looks to Christ in saving faith. We are saved not by our works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The one who looks on to Jesus and calls upon him in repentance and faith is saved, and they can have an assurance of this salvation. But please do not put your trust in yourself. Do not look to your works. Do not cross your fingers and build a vain deception. If you have not done business with the Lord, if you have not looked on to Jesus, then you are not saved. It is as the Lord says in Matthew 7 and verse 22, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Indeed, the one who has built this web of vanity is, as we read in Job 8 and 13 and 14, such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. His confidence is severed and his trust is a spider's web. It is exactly this that the divines mean when they say the hope of these unregenerate and hypocritical men and women shall perish. And so the divines warn as paragraph 1 begins, but as paragraph 1 ends, they also comfort, because they state, Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus, and love him in sincerity, endeavouring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace. Or in other words, the child of God absolutely may 100% understand and be assured that they are saved. We will see in a moment as we get into other paragraphs that it's not always straightforward. But today we begin with this absolutely glorious truth. 
that the Christian can know and be certain about the things that they have been taught. And as we understand the things that we have been taught, we have this blessed assurance that we have trusted in Christ and that we are saved. And we will certainly see evidence of this in our lives, which gives us that assurance. As we read in 1 John 2 and verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. So the Christian life is one that is marked by obedience. In 1 John 3 and 14, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so we are assured when we grow to love the church of Jesus Christ, where we live together and forgive one another and bear one another's burdens and support one another. And as John continues in verses 18 and 19, he tells us that we see evidence of our salvation and therefore can be assured in it when we don't just love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. The Christian life is one that is marked with loving action towards our brothers and sisters. And by this, says John, we shall know that we are off the truth and reassure our heart before him. And beloved, as John writes in verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Here we see evidence of our salvation, which encourages us as we seek out this blessed assurance. And indeed, John in 1 John 5 and 13 echoes Luke's hope for Theophilus when he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So the Christian can have certainty. We see the evidence of our salvation worked out every day in our lives. And indeed, as the Lord tells us in his word, we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5 and 2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And hope, verse 5, does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And so it is no wonder then that the Westminster Divines begin by saying that there are some hypocrites who vainly believe that they are saved, but the Christian will never be counted in that number. We see evidence of our salvation every single day, and our hope will not be put to shame, but we will be able to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never, ever make them ashamed. I find this an incredibly wonderful paragraph. How many of us struggle in the faith? How many of us have dark days where we believe that perhaps we aren't saved as we believed? The divines echoing the, te- the, divines echoing the plain teaching of Scripture make it clear that the Christian may know and be certain and be assured that they are in the state of grace. And according to the Westminster Divines in paragraph 2, this certainty and this assurance that we can have as believers is more than bare conjecture and probable persuasion, which is grounded upon a fallible hope, or in other words, a hope that can change. Paul in Hebrews is able to write in Hebrews 6 and verse 19, that we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the holy place behind the curtain. So the Christian's assurance is not crossing our fingers and hoping for the best, but there is something stronger than that, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, which produces this wonderful assurance in us. And so in verse 11, he urges the Hebrews to show the same earnestness so that they may have the full assurance of hope until the end. The assurance that we have of God's grace and salvation isn't pie in the sky, bare conjecture, probable persuasion, and grounded upon a fallible, changing hope. 
but instead say the divines it is an infallible assurance of faith for it is founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation. And so the Christian today does not need to cross his or her fingers. They do not need to tell themselves I'm probably maybe persuaded that perhaps I am saved. Instead our assurance is founded upon the divine truth of God's promises. Once more we come back to the fact that our God is a covenant making and keeping God. And in the covenant of grace we see a promise to us that he will be our God and we will be his people. And if this is a promise that our God has made, then we can rest easy in it. We see again in Hebrews 6 and 17 to 18 this exact truth. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We see here wonderful truth. God cannot lie. God has made a promise and therefore he will absolutely keep it. And to show how much he will keep this promise, he swore by himself because there is no one greater than God. So my brothers and sisters, today we do not need to cross our fingers extra tightly. God has promised that he would bring his purposes to pass. God had promised that he would send the seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head. God had promised that that seed would be his own begotten son. And Jesus was that seed. He died at Calvary. He rose again from the dead. And all who believe in him will be saved. This is our infallible assurance of faith. God cannot lie. So our assurance is strengthened by the character of God. But also by God's grace as he sanctifies us, our assurance is strengthened by the inward evidence of his work. We've already mentioned some of that evidence as we've discussed paragraph 1. But today we remind ourselves that it is, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and 5 and 10, that we are to make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, says Peter, to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. As the Lord works and sanctifies us and makes us more like Christ, and as we see the evidence of this, then we can be increasingly assured of God's grace and salvation and his work in our lives. We come to know him as we've already heard in 1 John 2 and 3, and because we have come to know him, we keep his commandments. The Christian life of obedience is a sure sign that we have experienced the grace of God. It is a sure sign that we can be assured that we will not perish. And if that were not enough, we also have, according to the Westminster Divines, the Spirit's testimony and the Spirit's seal. They state that the testimony of the Spirit of adoption witnesses with our spirits that we are the children of God. And this Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. And so as Paul says in Romans 8 and 15, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And indeed the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are incredibly thankful today for the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, who assures us that we are saved, who ministers to us in times of weakness, who testifies to us that we are indeed part of God's family. 
And as the Spirit speaks to us in this way, also we have been sealed by this same Holy Spirit until the last day. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. He writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Therefore we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, as Paul continues in chapter 4 and 30, because he is the one by whom we have been sealed for the day of redemption. And Paul continues this thought in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 21 to 22. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. My friends, if we have received Christ by faith, then we have also been baptized by the Holy Spirit. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. All of this is absolutely true and therefore we can be assured that we will persevere, that we have received God's grace and that we will be saved. So far so good we might state. But the difficulty comes when you and I, and I'm sure both of us have experienced this, you and I don't actually feel assured. We know the promises of God are true. We know that we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there's just a nagging doubt, a nagging restlessness. My friends, if you've ever experienced that, or if you are currently experiencing it, then it isn't because you are the worst Christian in the world. As paragraph 3 begins, the divine state that this infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. Or in other words, you can be a Christian and have no real sense of assurance. It seems that John had met individuals like this. When he was writing his first letter in chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. My brothers and sisters, sometimes we struggle with this knowing. Sometimes our prayer is that of Mark 9 and 24. I believe, help my own belief. But thanks be to God, because even if our prayer is that of Mark 9, the Lord does not leave us in our weakness. As this paragraph continues, we are told that we are enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given us of God, and we do not need any extraordinary revelation, or in other words, the Lord does not need to write something in the sky, because if we rightly use the ordinary means, we can attain a blessed assurance. I know that I have talked about the ordinary means of grace an awful lot on this podcast, and I could speak about them plenty more, because they are so important. Often we belittle the ordinary means. We do not give much time to the word of God. We're not always at the Lord's table. The fellowship of the saints is not something that we always appreciate. Prayer is something that we leave for emergencies or indeed leave for others. But it is by attending to these ordinary means that the Westminster Divines tell us that we can move beyond our doubt and find that assurance that we are looking for. We have the Spirit, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 12, and therefore we can understand the things freely given to us by God. And Paul continues in Hebrews 6 and 11, 
that he desires each one of us to show the same earnestness so that we will have the full assurance of hope unto the end. We are to be earnest in the ordinary means of grace. We are to attend unto them diligently. For the purpose is, as Paul outlines in Ephesians 3 and 17, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If we lack assurance, if we do not believe that we are truly saved, if we do not have that wonderful peace that often the preacher talks about, then we must be diligent in the ordinary means of grace. It is as the divine's right. It is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure. And we make that calling and election sure by attending to the things that God has given us to strengthen us in our faith. You see, the means of grace in the local church are not chores to be endured, but they are delights given to us by God. And the purpose of all of this is, as the divines continue, so that our hearts may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, which are the proper fruits of our assurance. I think that is a wonderful phrase. Why do we attend to the ordinary means? Why do we delight in the Word of God, read and preached and studied? Why do we come together to pray with other believers? Why do we come to the Lord's table consistently? Why are we present when the waters of baptism flow? These are not works. None of this saves us. None of this impresses God. But instead, because we have been saved, we attend to the things that God has given us and blessed us with. And these ordinary means, these blessed gifts, enlarge our hearts in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. They cause us to love God more and be thankful to him. They cause us to attend to the duties of our obedience with both strength and cheerfulness. And all of this, say the divines, is the proper fruit of our assurance. It is as we read in Psalm 119 and verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Here is our prayer. I hope today. Not so much, I believe and help my own belief. But Father God, enlarge my heart as I listen to the sermon this week. Enlarge my heart as I spend time in prayer today. Father, enlarge my heart, even in this time of pandemic, as I long to be back to the table, the Lord's Supper. Father, when I get there, enlarge my heart with peace and joy and love and thankfulness and strength and cheerfulness. Father, enlarge our hearts. My friends, do not despise the local fellowship and do not despise the ordinary means because by them the Lord blesses us with grace and assurance of our salvation. As paragraph 3 ends, the divines turn to their critics because in the days that the confession was written, a common accusation was that all of this grace business will lead men and women to looseness, as the divines put it. It will lead men and women to a place where they will say, oh, I'm saved by grace, I, I don't need to attend to the ordinary means. I don't need to love my neighbour. I don't need to attend regularly my local fellowship. But the Westminster divines leave no room for that kind of thinking. They make it absolutely clear 
that the proper fruits of assurance will not lead us to looseness, but instead obedience. And this too is a mark of our assurance. Are we being obedient in the things of God? Again, not so that we can be saved. We are saved by grace and faith in Jesus. But are we being obedient to the things of God in response to our salvation? It is, as Paul says in Romans 6 and 1, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And in Titus 2, 11 down to 14, we read that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Verse 14, because Jesus gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. As we've already heard in this podcast, good works have their place in the life of the believer. And as we see here, good works have a wonderful purpose in the assurance that a believer can experience. So today we are not inclined to looseness with this teaching, but instead we are inclined to attend to the ordinary means of grace and to strive after the proper fruits of our assurance. As this chapter comes to a close, the Westminster Divines tell us that just as believers can strive after assurance, they can also have that assurance shaken, diminished and intermitted. And how can it be taken from them? By their negligence in preserving it, by falling into some sort of special sin, which wounds their conscience and grieves the spirit by some sudden or vehement temptation or by God withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. Our assurance can be lessened in these various ways. Paul warns us about grieving the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4 and verse 30. And we see Peter's despair after betraying the Lord in Matthew 26 and verse 69. When he is accused of being with Jesus the Galilean, he says, I do not know what you mean. And then when someone else says, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth, he again denies it with an oath, I do not know the man. Peter falls into grievous sin and weeps bitterly at his betrayal of Christ. And in Psalm 51 and verse 12 the psalmist wishes that he would have the joy of God's salvation restored to him. Sometimes as believers, we lose our sense of assurance and always it is our own fault. And yet here today in this paragraph, we are not once more left absolutely destitute. We thank God for the perseverance of the saints and we thank God that even when our assurance has been shaken in many ways, we are never so utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brothers, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived. We will never be so far gone, say the divines, that our assurance can't be sparked and fanned once more in the flame. John says this in 1 John 3 and 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And the very same Peter that we have been talking about in Luke 22 and verse 32, Jesus says to him, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, 
And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. As the divines bring this chapter to a close and this paragraph to a close, they tell us that our assurance can be shaken, but it will never be fully stamped out. And by the which, in the meantime, we are supported from utter despair. How gracious our God is to us that even though we walk the path away from him, even though we lose the assurance that we are supposed to be diligent in pursuing, even when we are at our lowest ebb, he does not let us slip through his fingers. It is as we are told in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12 and 19 to 21, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. My friends, today you may feel like that bruised reed, once so certain of your salvation, once filled with assurance, but today by your own means and your own roads you have lost that assurance. Today you may feel like that smouldering wick, barely keeping that spark of flame alight. But Jesus will not break you, nor will he quench you. The one who he has laid his hand upon is saved and will be saved. And today, of this truth, by the ordinary means and by the work of the Spirit and by always looking unto Jesus, we can be certain and sure that we belong to him. As always, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. What is our infallible assurance of faith founded upon? Question 2. What sort of inward evidence of salvation gives us a greater assurance? Question 3. What is the Holy Spirit's rule in the assurance of grace and salvation? Question 4. True or false? Every Christian will always have a wonderful sense of assurance. Give reasons for your answer. Question 5. What do the Westminster Divines recommend that we use rightly as we pursue assurance? And question 6. How can our assurance be lost? And if it is lost, can it be regained? Give reasons for your answer. That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess. Thank you.